When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Warning, this podcast contains spoilers for the first Avatar and the sequel, Avatar Way of Water, in theaters now. My name is Jason Concepcion, and welcome to X-Ray Vision, the Crooked Podcast, where we dive deep into the beautiful blue waters of Pandora to talk about your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. In this episode, on the previously on Lots of News, we're going to be talking about the new Across the Spider-Verse trailer. I'll be talking about uh, uh, some some stuff that I saw at the Game of Thrones convention. Uh, we're going to have a discussion of AI and the, uh, the recent um, AI art controversy in the airlock folks we're going to pandora baby we're getting in cryo sleep we're thawing out we're like putting on our little breathers and we're going to be running around in the forest and then diving into the crystal blue waters and joining me today with all of that to commune with awa together She's the number one Pandora historian, (laughs) the number one harvester of whale brain juice. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great rosy night. I must say, I have never harvested a whale's brain juice. That will make sense when you see Avatar. That will make sense when you see Avatar, way of water. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um... You know, I my voice is coming back after doing so much talking over the weekend. I was speaking so much, and uh, you know, I'm I'm hopped up on on Pandora buzz after seeing three hours of James Cameron's latest masterpiece, Avatar: <laughs> Way of Water. So you just looks luxurious and amazing. I'm just living. How are you? Yeah, I reordered. I, I reordered my comic book collection. I put like everything in order and and, yeah. and got That's the stuff feeling. that I want to keep and and give away like in separate piles. I feel good. How are you? Yeah, I love to hear it. Yeah, yeah, same. I was I was immersed. I was fully immersed for three hours and ten minutes in the vibrant three D of Avatar: A Way of Water. I actually that was my always my biggest complaint about the original Avatar. As somebody who likes a three D movie where like an axe comes at your face or like you know yeah. like, one of my favorite three D movies is the the My Bloody Valentine three D remake that they did. I thought that was like the peak of three D. The three D in this is really good. I was very immersed. It, it's tasteful three D. It's tasteful, like, but it, it was pushing the boundary at one point. Uh, Natiri did almost shoot an arrow in my face, which I appreciated. And also there was moments when you're underwater where it feels like things are floating past your face. I felt like the boundaries of the 3D was quite limited in the original. So I was, I was love, uh, 3D's back, baby. Make every movie in 3D. But like real 3D. I want to see a ladder coming towards my face like I'm in Muppets 4D. (laughs) All right, let's get into it. Let's get into it. First up, previously on. 
Tell us all about the Game of Thrones official fan convention, because that is very, very cool. And you were okay. really, it was you and Greta, right? It Doing was the whole Greta thing. and I. This was the first time we'd ever met in person, which was mm. wild. It's, here's the thing. I don't know if this happens to you, but when you meet people for the first time in now in the COVID era, I don't know about you, but it doesn't even register almost anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it feels like we have met. Like yeah, with we you and I, the first time, time we met in person, I was like, it, 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 somebody mentioned, oh, this is the first time you guys are meeting. I was like, oh, oh, yeah. yeah. It just feels <laughs> cool. Yeah, like almost like it, it feels so normalized now. Anyway, mm-hmm. it was the first time uh, Greg and I had met in person. Uh, and it was just, I, I got to see old friends, uh, you know, uh, our friends from, um, History of Westeros Aziz and Ashaya were there, which was wonderful. They were covering the whole thing. Kim Renfro from Insider was there. Uh, and it was just, it was so fun. We were hanging, you know, just like hanging out in the green room and like mm-hmm. this one fun moment where like Esme Bianca was there, played Roz. The best. Uh, in the first three one seasons. One of my all time favorite characters. And then um, uh, Daniel Portman, who played uh, Podrick Payne, a.k.a. Sex God Pod, came in and they started catching up. And, you know, like, Grant and I are pretending like, oh, this isn't cool. We're just very— This is just uh, normal. We're just, like, hanging out. And they started having this conversation. Esme was like, oh, did you live? Did you make it to the end? He's like, yeah, I did. I made it. I, I lived all the way to the end of the series. All these, like, fun little moments occurred. It was great seeing everybody in um, in costume. And then I was really just, like— pleasantly surprised at how generous everybody was with their answers. We interviewed mm. Kit, Kit Harrington. Ever heard of him? The, the <laughs> famous uh, Jon Snow, a.k.a. The, the Bastard of Winterfell, a.k.a. The King in the North, uh, a.k.a. The Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. And he, like, he was just, like, so wonderful with his answers, took time with all the audience questions. You could, you could really sense how important, like, connecting mm. with these people was to a lot of the fans who got to ask their questions, just like, how delighted they were to see everybody. There was a great moment where we were interviewing Patty. Uh, uh, Patty um, and Steve, uh, Patty, who plays King Viserys, and Steve Toussaint, who plays Corliss Valerian. And um, I don't think Patty had fully realized, like, how beloved Viserys was mm-hmm. after this season because I, uh, you know, we, we had been talking for a little while and I said, you know, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about that incredible scene in the throne room where Viserys comes in to defend his daughter. And um, just like the crowd exploded at the mention <laughs> of it. It was <sighs> I love it. It was so cool. So, oh, this is a funny thing. So we're there for three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. By Sunday, listen, it's great, great fun, but I'm beginning to get like a little you toasty were like around on the, the floor. I, so what happened was we had a panel uh, and I forget what it was, but we had like an extra 15 minute like break on top of our existing 15 minutes because Greta was like introing um, some behind the scenes video. So I went up to the green room. Where where all the talent was, like everybody from the cast was in there and, and various people who were also like handlers and, and you know, Alfie Allen's manager and stuff like that. So it was like I go in there and all the ta- – there's like three round table, four round tables and all the seats are taken because it's like Kit Harrington sitting there, Alfie Allen is sitting there, Daniel Portman is sitting there, like fucking Jack Gleason. Like, so 
I go and lay on the ground to just kind of like relax for a little while. Next thing I know, I fall asleep and I wake up to one of the um, one of the convention people being like, oh, my God, we've been looking for you. And like we've come in this room like four times and this is the first time. we <laughs> So I was like I was like out in the open. Like if you take four steps into the green room and by the way, you can yes, see it. it. Yeah, it was the same. It was. Where were we for the L.A. Comic-Con? We were at 402. Yeah, we it like, was in there. We were 407. So we were mm-hmm. literally like down at the end of the hall. And if they would have taken five steps or three steps into the room, it would have been obvious that I was right there. But they didn't do that. So they missed me like a million times. And so I woke up and I hear the music for the panel going on. And they're like, it's it's starting right now. Do you want to like run on stage? I'm like, no, that would be fucking weird. I guess I just missed this one. And so it was the Patty it, that one was Patty's like uh, solo panel, which I which I, I watched from the side of the stage. It was really fun. He came out like tottering on a f- invisible cane, you know. When they opened the <laughs> doors, he pretended to like totter out like Viserys. It was that was super fun. It was just it was a really great time. Like everybody was uh, was clearly so excited. Um, you know, it's whenever someone gets up on the mic to ask a question and their voice is shaking, it's like, wow, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, you realize like how this series really just, it just means a lot to people. And again, everybody was really, really great with their, you know, in answering the questions. And it was just a fun time. I love cosplay. I love conventions. I loved it all. I got a, I got a, a, a a Corliss and Viserys Funko Pop. (laughs) <laughs> uh, with not, so not a single Funko. I got two Funko Pops. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. One and a, was each. And a Viserys, yeah. Now, Viserys without the golden mask. Um, but it, So it's like younger Viserys. But it was really fun. It was a great time, man. I, it, was, it, was, it was a long time, but it was really, really fun. And it was cool to see how much it meant to the fans. Yeah, I mean, it was the first ever official Game of Thrones fan right. con, right? Which is why you had so many unbelievable... That was like a stacked cast of guests. Oh, it yeah. It was everyone you could want to be there. I mean, Kit, yeah. It was yeah. like, holy shit, there he is. Oh, it's <laughs> fucking Jon Snow. And boy. you never know what to do. You know, like our friend Kenny, who is my manager, was like, he was there for day one because uh, his wife is also is Daniel Portman's rep and, you know, just there to support Greta and I. And, he, and you know, like Alfie Allen is there. And Jack Leeson were there, and and Tom Glenn Carney was there. You know, plays Aegon the the Elder. He's like, oh, you go go say go say hi to the Elder. I was like, you introduce yourself before the panel. You got to do that. You got to do that. You make sure that uh, you know they they know who you are and stuff like that. And I'm like, I don't want to bother them. It's like so <laughs> they're just like having you know they're. It's everybody the was balance. It's the balance, but everybody was like super super sweet and super charming. There were some really thirsty asked questions at times like there was oh my god i had i had tom uh it's interesting day one the original setup was greta and i were gonna like you know like trade off panels and certain bigger panels we do together just to kind of save our energy but then we got to the end of day one and did the panel together and we're like let's just do all the panels together it's so much better and so much easier but so originally day one i did tom glenn carney just by myself and uh, someone got up and was like, the first question was, uh, hello, Tom, you're very handsome. <laughs> we were like, okay, that's not a question. Yeah. Uh, and then another person was like, hi, Tom, just so you know, I call you King Papi Chulo. 
<laughs> Dude, truly, to be a, a moderator like, at a con is like a. It, you are like the teacher and the fan yeah. and the historian and the question asker and the bodyguard. I at New York Comic Con, I did a, a, a movie premiere, and one of the people, the lot. I should have stopped before the last question, <laughs> but the last question. The guy came up and Jake Lacey was in the movie. It's this this really fun movie called Significant Other with Michael Monroe and, and Jake Lacey. And um, the last guy came up and just made some really weird comment about how lucky Jake Lacey was that he'd like rolled in the hay with some hot that's woman so who weird. wasn't yeah, even in the panel. Like Jess, I think it was Jessica Chastain or something. And I had to be like, let's keep it clean. Let's keep it clean. Yeah, let's but, keep and, it and, every, and everyone was like, I could just be like, I was like, well, I should never have let that last guy ask the question. Yeah, but that's no. always the way people are excited to talk to these people. People are so excited. But it's that balance. It sounds like it was respectful thirst at the Game of Thrones. It was, con, which res- is my it was favorite mainly kind. respectful for uh, thirst. There was like a point five percent of like things that were like okay, but it was it was a res- it was a very respectful thirst when the questioner was like I call you King Poppy Chulo. Tom was like, "What's that mean?" He like leaned over and was like, "What's that mean?" I was like, "I was like, oh, that's like a uh, it's like a very handsome guy, basically." And he's like, "Oh, okay." Um, there was and forget it for Podrick Payne. Because oh. who we always, who, of course, you know, Sex God Pod, he made the eight. He, you know, uh, the whores of King's Landing were giving him, uh, you know, rolls in the hay for free, et cetera. There was, they were giving him money. Was, they were giving him money. There were so many questions about like, so what do you think he did? Pod, what do you think it was? <laughs> that Pod, what was the backstory that you yeah, created? What was, what was, what was, what was Pod's was, specialty? Yeah, what was it? <laughs> Oh it was like, God. oh my gosh! But it was, a, it was, a, it was a wonderful, fun time. Absolutely fun time. Um, shall we talk about the Across the Spider Verse trailer? That let's is do it. It's very exciting. Full trailer for the highly anticipated Spider-Man Across the Spider Verse dropped this week. Um, of course, lots of returning characters: uh, Miles Morales, his dad, his father, Jefferson Davis. <laughs> <laughs> It, one of the most perplexing choices in recent comics history. Don't uh, even course, get me started. Gwen Stacy, uh, Peter Parker, etc. Um, uh, and, and lots of new characters uh, appearing yeah, in this trailer. Jessica so Drew, Spider-Woman, The Vulture, various Spider-Man variants. We got a Spider-Punk shot, so fucking zig. Yeah. Uh, and it just, man, it just seems extremely fun. Uh, I, I, I am of the opinion this is not a controversial opinion that Into the Spider-Verse is like top two comic book movies ever. Yeah. Like, you know, it's certainly one Maybe of the greatest comics. Maybe objectively com- the best one. Maybe and then everything objectively else, the best. Everything yeah. else is like your own feelings, but it's definitely yes. the best Spider-Man movie. And I love Absolutely. the Tom Holland MCU Spider-Man movies. I love Andrew Garfield. I love Toby, but that movie is unbelievable. I thought this was so much fun. I love... The, they managed to do this great job with the trailer where they ground it in this conversation that Miles is having with his mom, Rio, where she's kind of just like, I spent all my life just looking after you and I don't want you to be in a situation where I'm not able to do that. And if I'm not doing yeah. it, then I need you to do it and to take on that responsibility. And they ground it with that human like love and heart, which was such a big part of the movie. And then they're just like, boom, 
Bombastic Bagman, like Armored yeah. Spider-Man, Mayday Parker. By the way, oh yeah, so Peter B. Parker looks like he had a baby with Mary Jane. They revealed an image of the baby. We don't see it in the trailer. He's wearing the baby Bjorn, but it is Mayday Parker. But then there's also grown-up Mayday Parker we see in this. There's so many different people. They have the PS4 Spider-Man. They have uh, like Silver Armor Spider. There's all different oh. kinds of variants. It's re- Oh, we don't, it's hard to see him in the trailer, but they released a really cool character design for Spider-Man India. So there's a lot of characters here. And then we have Spider-Man 2099. And this is the biggest question of the movie is, what is his role? Because in yes. this and in the previous trailer, it looks like he is either an antagonist or a straight up villain. And at the end, it ends with, I think it's Spider-Gwen who says... Oh, I thought we're supposed to be the good guys. And then he says, we are. But he's like smashing Miles' face into the ground. So it's unclear what kind of cataclysm and drama they're doing here. Also, so Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman here, played voice by Issa Rae. And they did black Jessica Drew. I think that is going to be in the... I think Jessica Drew is going to be black in the MCU too. I agree with you. I think think that that is going to be the case. I'll say, I'll go a little... This... I'll go a little further on, on... this. I think that this animation style, I think you could make an entire like Marvel animated universe. I agree. And just do 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 Avengers, do West Coast Avengers, do X-Men, like do all do a whole universe of stories that's separated from the from the MCU canon like this because I just think the animation style is so engaging and exciting. A long time ago we'd said Maybe it was around the time of What If. I don't remember. But we were like, they should use Marvel Animation to basically tell different famous comic book arcs. Yeah. I would love to see that in the Sony studio space where you're reaching... Literally, no joke. I was on my Instagram the day the trailer came out. And like every cool artist that I followed was like, so proud this is out. So happy I got to do a bit of work on this. Like They bought like the best of the best illustrators, animators, everyone in to make this sequel and I just feel like there's so much space I mean think about how great Kingpin was in that first movie obviously it's Miles' movie like it's it's all about Miles but I think so much about the visualization of Kingpin and how terrifying he was and how interesting and how visually exciting and I think I would love to see, you know, you could even do a Punisher movie like this. And I'm not someone who's out here always advocating for many Punisher stories, but Punisher, that's a Spider-Man villain. You know, that could be a really interesting space. And they do so much intriguing animation. I'd love to see them do Silk. You know, we know that Sony is now doing this Amazon deal where they're going to be making TV shows like Silk. Um, And I would be really interested to see that. I'm also very interested to know and to think about when the animated Miles Morales movies will inevitably spit a real live-action Miles into the MCU. Because it's just, it's so, it's going to happen. It has to happen. It feels, and I, here's my question. Is it, do they do it when Tom is like on his way out? Tom's going to die or, you know, at the end of his contract, he doesn't want to do it anymore. Is that when they bring in Miles or is there a period of time where we get both of them I running think it's, around so for I, my, a little while? It might just be my own Miles bias, right? But 
I believe that the way that they ended No Way Home, it essentially establishes a world where Miles can exist because Peter doesn't have any personal connections. Now, in the comics, it's that Peter died, inverted commas, whoever dies, but people thought Peter was dead. In this, the notion that Peter Parker doesn't exist, even though Spider-Man as a figure does, that could inspire Miles to become a local Spider-Man and then to have that duality. So my fingers are crossed, and I think, you know, Spider-Verse is really the most successful multiverse kind of accessible storytelling that we've had. So it makes sense that there could be a world where that multiverse spills into the MCU. But I also think that Sony is probably keeping Mars Morales very close to their chest. Oh, yeah, they're not going to give him away just for nothing. Like, that's going to be a negotiation. Looks so great. If he does come in, if and when he does come into the live action world while uh, Peter Parker is there, man... Think about how heart-wrenching a death of Spider-Man, like an ultimate Spider-Man mm-hmm, mm-hmm. end of Peter Parker's run, how just like gut punch level that would be on, exactly. on a live and action screen. They're establishing so many of the character relationships that would need to be set up for that to happen in these Spider-Verse movies. And my gut says that with the the looming threat of DC attempting this kind of wildly ambitious James Gunn, Peter Safran-led animation, TV, film, interconnected universe in a more streamlined way because DC has been doing that for a while, but it's not been widely recognized. I I think that that pushes, that likely pushes Marvel to to want to connect Spider-Verse with the MCU in a more distinct way. Yeah. Up next... Um, AI art. Uh, you may have noticed uh, lots of people you follow on social media sharing various portraits of themselves that are done in this kind of like artistic way. Here they are in space. Here they are in a forest. Here they are as some kind of uh, comic book warrior. Um, this is probably the Lenza AI app mm-hmm. um, that allows people to create portraits of themselves according to whatever prompt the user uh, might uh, input into the user interface. Um, but this uh, technology is raising a lot of red flags with artists, isn't it, Rosie? Yeah, so Lenza AI works on... Uh, open source image to text model called Stable Diffusion. Mm-hmm. And that is run by a nonprofit company. And what it does is it scrapes art from the internet without artists' consent to train the AI. Now, that in itself is its own wider ethical issue. The problem that really upset people was Lenza is actually charging people for this. Yeah. So it's no longer nonprofit. And as many different people managed to source, there was some really great uh, kind of just like community journalism where it became quite obvious that you could actually still see signatures in the corner of the art because the AI is trained off of people's artwork that had signatures. And for some artists, it was very easy to see an image that somebody shared off Lenza that was clearly kind of what you would say, like biting their art style. But in this, it's less of a human choosing to plagiarize. And the nature of the way that the AI is being trained is on the art of others. So for a lot of cartoonists and the illustration community, this is like a big kind of upset, understandably so, because 
a lot of conversations about the ethics of AI have been very widely agreed upon. And I think for a lot of people in the comic book community and the cartooning and illustration community, this felt like everyone was just like, oh, wait, but I want to look, see what I would look like as a cool like superhero. So I'm just going to pay my $8 and put in my 10 photos. And then outside of that, 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 which is a huge part and is like the main issue that a lot of people have had. Yeah. My understanding is that the nature of the way that Stable Diffusion works and the company L-A-I-O-N who run this nonprofit, your photos, once they are in there, not only are we talking about a, a likeness rights, which they will own, and that is in the terms and conditions that many people have done great reporting on that, but also they can then use your photos and will use your photos to train your AI to do stuff like facial recognition that can then be used in like a surveillance state. So there's a lot of different layers... It- to what to the problems with it and and the different ways that it can be exploited most of which just come from the fact that it's new technology and a lot of us don't really understand it i think that to your point there's a lot of different implications of this this is obviously kind of you know not to overstate it but ai in general is world changing technology that mm-hmm. will you know change the way we generate ideas change the way a lot of people will work creatively and i think on the one hand it's it, it's unstoppable in the sense that it's moving so fast that it's here and it's kind of not going anywhere that said because of the way it works and the um the stuff that it scrapes to build out how mm-hmm. it works um it is Essentially, at this point, theft, you know, it's intellectual property theft. Now, I guess the people who are very pro AI would say, well, you know, we're working on safeguards and things like that. And but it's also like, you know, this is moving so fast that it's kind of you can't really stop where this is going. And therefore, you know, it's better to. you know, to support this kind of progress than worry too much about the the various eggs that are going to broken. Yeah. To which I, I would counter, you know, this is, a, you know, artists are not, <laughs> the illustrators that we know are not like, they're not raking it in anyway. Exactly. I think this you is know? the, this is the bigger problem is that artists already, whether it's the artists who draw your favorite superhero comics or it's an artist who's trying to make their own independent work, they are already being exploited and undervalued. And the biggest problem with that approach to this is that it essentially erases all the work that has been done and the years of work that artists have done to even be able to train the AI in the first place, let alone just to learn how to do art. And then I've been reading some really interesting, more kind of philosophical questions about it, which is kind of the notion of like, what does art mean to you? Like, is art just a series of photos or images that tell a story? And if so, then how does that well, change when it's AI or it's a human? Because if a human I, is making that art, the art is a long gestating result of their ideas and their experiences and their influences. And I'm not averse I'm very much like I think a lot about like I grew up on sci-fi, right? So I have a lot of feelings about the nature of AI and and the possibilities of sentient AI and and the rights. Nobody is like AI art is 
bad forever, blanket ban bad. The problem is that right now, with stuff like Lenza, companies are profiting off art that is stolen from artists who didn't give their consent. And it's being kind of widely accepted as the norm, which makes it more easy for corporations and single singular people to exploit artists i saw multiple examples of some really some of the stuff that shocked me the most was after i'd learned about lenza which i was down on from the beginning because i'm like the, i love creator rights so i I'd, I'd always felt suspicious about it and but some of the wildest stuff i saw was other artists who had had their art style directly stolen and fed into ai generators and then had people sharing their art and winning competitions with their art and getting paid for the art that they just fed somebody else's art into the generator. And that's the other side of it, is it it makes it a lot easier to plagiarize a specific art style or to take work away from working artists. So it's it's really complex. And I feel like this is probably just the beginning of like a much bigger conversation. I mean, like this is before we even get into the questions of... AI generated revenge porn. Uh, yeah, and also you know, the, like the misogyny the propaganda, that is inherent the way, in the way the you can create results. propaganda using AI created mm-hmm. art. Yeah, whether or not the, uh, the AI algorithm and the underlying mathematics in it were created with inherent biases that were when transmitted you see from the, the biases of the images. Created. You see the examples. I think it was Megan Fox who had said it. I think Nisi uh, Nash had shared some, but there was. The Guardian did a piece about where they put images of famous women who had done historically notable things. And one of them was one of the ones that got spat out was like Amelia Earhart, like laying naked on a bed. And Megan Fox, all of her pictures were just all just boobs. That was just all it was. Yeah. So there's like, and they make people skinnier and lighter. Before we even. Before we even get to that, like, philosophical part of Mm -hmm. it, it really, what we're really dealing with is, um, uh, a transfer of it's really a transfer of wealth from artists to capital because mm-hmm. it, listen art this is not in the short medium and i would dare to say even the long term this is not going to replace artists and real art at the top level like you know this is not people aren't going to walk into a, a gallery and buy an ai generated art piece maybe they will well, but I, we say my that guess is, but nfts did we become very that. successful <laughs> well did they or is that just a scam perpetrated a by people who, yeah, yeah um i so uh and at the same time nfts are basically uh, digital versions of human created art anyway mm-hmm. um but the way this will be applied is um, I am a movie studio. I don't want I want to cut costs anywhere exactly. I can. Therefore, when I'm storyboarding out a script rather than pay an illustrator, I will put my script into an AI mm-hmm. and that AI will create a storyboard that is using art styles and details scraped from actual artists and I will create this product that will then help me create my other product and that is one or two or a handful of illustrators that now don't have a job mm-hmm. because I've cut that part out of it. It definitely or, seems as like I'm that could come to fruition in animation. Yeah, or- yeah, or if I'm, you know, or, or if I'm like mocking up uh, graphics for a book mm-hmm. or for covers, a, definitely book covers or, or a sign for my bakery, you know, mm-hmm. now all of a sudden you're transferring 
the 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 monies that would have gone into the pocket of an actual human being, an illustrator, and you're moving it towards the technologists who have created this AI. Um, so should you should we be doing that? <laughs> is a is a mm-hmm. is a kind of basic question. And I think is going to be the more everyday question that we have to grapple with before we start grappling with these kind of really big and obviously, you know, super impactful questions about like, okay, what if someone wants to create a picture of me committing a crime and then report me to the police? Mm -hmm. Or what if somebody wants to create, uh, you know, uh, completely realistic propaganda? Or what if uh, somebody wants to get back at their ex and create nudes of them? Like those are all issues that are going to get dealt with as well. And they're probably going to get dealt with at the governmental level because they're just so salacious and huge. But stuff Stuff like, what about the illustrator that lost a storyboarding gig mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, this and that company used an AI rather than them? Those are the things that we should be thinking about right now because that that's the that is an application that's going to happen like tomorrow. It, yeah, like, if there's not already. Yeah, if it's not already happening in some studio. And the other thing is as well that so there's a there's a website. Called, that you can look at called haveibeentrained.com and you can put in any image and see if it was used to train a, the AI stable diffusion or the different processes. The most interesting thing about it is that when people started to look into it, they also realized that there was some unhinged things collected in there. And this is kind of the, the problem that this massive data set that isn't necessarily regulated, um, you know, offers up is there was a a Twitter user called Lapine who found that a bunch of before and after medical photos that she had had taken by a clinical physician had ended up on there. And then through that, people started to realize that there were thousands of medical photos and all different kinds of things that had ended up on there that, again, really start to blur the lines of consent because there's the consent of oh you put your selfie on instagram and anyone can look at it and use it but then there's the consent of something that is private like a medical image or a nude which other people found on there and these are the things that are being used to train it so it's just very messy and i think jason you made a really great point that really the most direct question to ask yourself is like would i rather give money to an independent artist or would i rather give money to somebody who is creating this tool that, as we said, has like multiple ethical questions surrounding it before we even just get to that baseline question of, could I just pay an artist? And I will say, you can just pay an artist. Guess what? You can commission an artist. A lot of artists on Instagram are open to commissions. Your favorite artist, you can pay someone like Jim Lee. He'll do a charity commission. It'll be $10,000 if you're wealthy. Maybe you want a Jim Lee commission to someone who's doing a $10 commission of your favorite character for charity. There is every range. You can get portrait commissions like Lens. A lot of artists do those. I have had multiple portrait commissions done of me and people that I love. And it's a really great way to support art. And you get something that's absolutely unique. So I think that's just the most important thing is to just say support artists. And at this point, I think that's the kind of the baseline of, of of our response that we can have to this because it's incredibly complex. And like Jason said, it's not going anywhere. It's only going to well, get spe- more complex. Speaking of computer-generated graphics, up next, Avatar, Way of Water. 
X-Ray Vision is brought to you by Viore. Viore is a new perspective on performance apparel perfect if you are sick and tired of traditional old workout gear. Everything is designed to work out in, but it doesn't look and feel like it. It's not like these the baggy, beaten down sweatpants that you're used to. It is so freaking comfortable. You want to wear it all the time. It's probably more comfortable than whatever you're wearing right now. The product is versatile, folks. What can you do with your body? Anything you can think of? You're going to be able to wear Viore while doing it. We're talking about running. We're talking about training. We're talking about weightlifting, swimming. Yes, swimming. You can enter an entirely different medium with this apparel. You can do yoga in it. You can do Pilates in it. You can do uh, CrossFit in it. But you can also do nothing in it. You can just sit around the house because it's that comfortable. And... It's great for the planet. Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint. They're also reducing and offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 and beyond, utilizing better sustainable materials for their products and empowering your best life. You've heard me say it a million times. I'm going to keep saying it as long as they're paying the bills. I have two pairs of the men's Sunday performance joggers, and I love them. I literally wear them exclusively when I go to the gym. I have them in two colors, black and I, I guess you would call it burgundy. And I... 100% that is what I wear when I go to the gym. So I'm wearing these like three, four times a week. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash x-ray. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash x-ray. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns Go to viore.com slash x-ray and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. X-ray Vision is brought to you by Athletic Greens. What's Athletic Greens, you might be asking? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75, that's right, three quarters of 100 high-quality vitamins. Okay, but what else? How about minerals? Okay, but what else? How about whole food-sourced superfoods? Okay, that's not enough for you. Also, probiotics and adaptogens to help you start your day right. You thought coffee was enough? It's not. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your recovery, your focus, and your aging. All the things that go on inside of your body. When I have used AG1, what do I do? I just uh, put a little scoop in with some peanut butter and some almond milk uh, in the blender, or I just like stir it up with a big old spoon and then I drink it down. Very, very easy to use. Here's some facts about athletic greens. It's lifestyle friendly. Maybe you've got a, a specific diet that you adhere to. Maybe you're a vegan. Maybe you are a paleo. Maybe you're counting your, your macros. Guess what? AG1 works with all that, whether you're Keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, or whatever. It works with any of those dietary restrictions. And do you care about sugar? Are you worried about your sugar intake? Have you been trying to cut back on snacking? AG1 contains less than one gram of sugar. No GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial. Anything wild tasting great. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. Just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs 
With your first purchase, all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash x-ray. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash x-ray to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. This episode of X-Ray Vision is brought to you by Karayuma, the sustainable sneaker worn by skaters and surfers. Winter is coming. And time to get real about layers lining everything that's going to keep you warm and keep you comfortable and keep you active when you head out the door. Karayuma is always thinking of ways to evolve their sustainable sneakers like the new arrival weatherproof high tops. Oh, baby! Your average winter boot is made with synthetic or animal products, shady supply chains, all that kind of bad stuff. You get where this is going. Karayuma says cozy shouldn't come at a cost to our mother. That's right. I'm talking about Mother Earth. That's why they created Katuri and Akatherma, made with 100% vegan and recycled materials and produced in a way that's ethical. One thing you should know about Karium is they're obsessed, literally pathologically obsessed to the point of needing a, like a, needing to be restrained with comfort. They're stalking comfort. Texting comfort, calling comfort 30, 40, 50 times an hour because they love it so much and they can't live without it. Even their insoles are lined with vegan shearling. When you leave the parka at home, Oka is just right. Finally back in stock after a 77,000-person wait list and with over 25,000 five-star reviews. Even your favorite celebrities love this versatile, crazy, comfortable shoe. This is Karyuma's new school take on a classic sneaker crafted with durable, organic canvas and ultra-soft, responsibly sourced suede. And if you're looking for a leather low top this winter, meet Salvas. Handcrafted with premium leather from LWG certified suppliers, Salvis finds footing and playful retro details like subtle perforation and contrast colors. We're likening them to blue jeans, white tees, you know, the classic stuff. For every pair of sneakers sold, Karima's team plants two trees in the Brazilian rainforest. Count them. One, two. That's two living, breathing, transferring carbon dioxide into oxygen trees in the bedraggled and constantly under threat Brazilian rainforest. What better way to spend your money than to plant two more trees in the lungs of the earth? Karyuma ships all their sneakers free and fast in the USA and offers worldwide shipping and 60-day free returns. They deliver right to your front door using single-box recycled packaging. And... For a limited time, X-Ray Vision listeners can get an exclusive 15% off your pair of Karyuma sneakers. Go to C-A-R-I-U-M-A dot com slash X-Ray to get 15% off. That's C-A-R-I-U-M-A dot com slash X-Ray for 15% off only for a limited time. Folks, we're stepping out of the airlock and into the mouth of a beautiful baby tulkoon. God, I love him so much. For Avatar The Way of Water in theaters now. Folks, Avatar Way of Water, the long, long, long awaited sequel to 2009's Avatar. Um, let's do a, a, a quick recap of Avatar Way of Water, which follows... 10 plus years. Do they, I forget now. We're, I think we're it's going around 10 years later. It's about 10 years after, uh, after Jake uh, and his Navi allies have evicted 
uh, humanity from Pandora, from the planet of Pandora. Um, Jake and Natiri have uh, have family together, a growing family, um, and their family is, you know, at this point, like their eldest son is of warrior age. Their youngest son uh, is not quite there, but uh, clearly like uh, the equivalent of a human teenager. Um, and then in that time, they also have two daughters, uh, one an adopted daughter, uh, uh, Kiri, who is the 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 daughter of Dr. Grace played by Sigourney Weaver in the first film and has something of her personality still and her there's clearly some kind of like chosen one aspect yes, to her. A, it was a, essentially an immaculate conception from all that we know. How Kiri was born of Grace's uh, seemingly dead avatar. Um, but one day everything's beautiful on the on the uh, the beautiful uh, utopian uh, planet of Pandora. But then one day the sky people, aka the human beings, come back, and uh, then we fast forward another year. And uh, this, the Sky People have basically brought Colonel Miles Quaritch, who is the antagonist from the first film, played by Stephen Lang, the, the fucking ageless Stephen Lang. Stephen Lang is 70 years old. I know, you know unbelievable. That? And he's, the, he's in every action movie, every crazy horror movie. He's doing it all. He's fucking, it's, it's truly insane. The first time I ever saw him was in a little little remembered action movie called Band of the Hand from the 80s, which I don't know if anybody but me has ever seen. <laughs> and it's basically about it's kind of like Miami Vice meets 21 Drum Street. There's like this cop who takes these teenage runaways and turns them into like a special like DEA, like special forces fighting group anyway. And Stephen Lang was like their captain. So um, and the, the sky people return. Uh, Colonel Miles Quaritch is his his consciousness that uh, you know, or at least the consciousness that existed uh, before his death, is uploaded into a, a Navi body grown from hybrid Navi slash human DNA. The, uh, he's leading a, a bunch of other similar Navi uh, Marines. And their mission is find Jake Sully, wipe him out stop his insurgency by decapitating it um, in order to save uh, his people, uh, the, the, you know, spare them the, the trouble and heartache of the attacks that, are, that they know are coming, uh, Jake and Natiri decide to flee to the coast. They go to the – and there they are taken in by the reef people um, who not quite – you know, kind of grudgingly, like, take them in. They learn new ways. They learn the way of water, much like the uh, much like the title says. <laughs> um, they learn about how important the Tulkun are to the uh, to the Reef Navi. And this, you know, the Tulkun are like these uh, these whales, whale like creatures that are intensely smart, intensely emotional, and they go on these long, long journeys throughout the ocean. But a but um, over time, they come back and they return to the various villages uh, to commune with the Navi who have an almost like familial kinship bond with individual Tulkun whales. And they come back and they'll tell each other stories about what's been going on with their lives. Uh, but unfortunately, 
the brain juice of these tulkuns uh, is uh, is worth a lot of money. On, on Obtanium, which you might remember from the first movie, that is no longer uh, the MacGuffin. The new They're MacGuffin. They're interested. They don't care about that. They don't even say the word. They don't even say it. It's off. It's fucking off the board. The new thing is this uh, this juice (laughs) that is that is uh, secreted in the Tulkun's brain. It is this beautiful amber liquid that can only obviously only be harvested by brutally murdering these creatures. Uh, The juice is then harvested and is shipped to Earth, where apparently it just flat out stops human aging according to the 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 men who harvest this this substance yeah and we're uh, getting into like deep seeding territory to the potential next three movies because not only are we going to have an ageless elite thanks to yeah. the brain juices of the tulacoon the, the brain juices of the tulacoon but as uh edie falco's character general francis ardmore says wiping unobtainium off the board as as Super Producer Soul hilariously just pointed out in the chat, they obtained the unobtainium. They which, unobtained uh, the unobtainium. They, they yeah. obtained it. So she says, you know, we're not mining anymore. They're terraforming. They they want to make Pandora. Yeah, Earth, is, Earth, is, the planet. Earth is cashed out. Yeah. Right. So they want that's gonna be the long battle here is Pandora is being targeted as a place for them to bring the rich and the wealthy and probably the ageless thanks to the brain juices and that is probably seeding the the next three potential movies so we're over in the coast but eventually uh quaritch in his navi body manages to track the uh jake to the coast look i know what i know you haven't mentioned his name I was is, say- I'm about to do it. He is aided. <laughs> he is aided in this regard by his uh, biological son, Spider, who a uh, human little human Tarzan boy with dreads who was raised among the Navi, certainly seems to have something of a crush on Kiri. Um, uh, Jake and Natiri's daughter, uh, but is captured by Colonel Quaritch early on in the movie. And then basically acts as a mostly unwilling, but actually way, way too willing. So willing and so quickly. Betrayer of the Navi ways. He teaches the fucking Colonel Quaritch how to bond with with, uh, the the flying creatures whose name I don't know. He, like, translates for them when they raid various villages looking for Jake. And be, like, burn and play people's houses down. Yeah, and though he's like, no, you shouldn't be doing this, he's still fucking helping. So fuck yeah. Spider. Anyway. Fuck Spider. <laughs> fuck Spider. Anyway, Spider is helping them, and, and this eventually leads to um, to Quaritch uh, getting the the whaling fleet to target Tulkun, not in the deep ocean, but right off the coast of inhabited Navi coastline because the understanding is that because the Navi are, you know, so emotionally bonded to these creatures, killing them is akin to murder. This is going to cause a response and this will flush Jake out. It works. Um, the, uh, so there is a big response. The Navi, uh, you know, strike back against the whaling fleet. They're helped by a rogue Tulkun named Payokan, who has been cast out of Tulkun society because uh, uh, he 
they killed. They uh, think he killed a bunch of them, but actually they were hunted by right. the and so people he defended who want to steal the them, brain juice. And he defended them from yeah. the brain juice harvesters. But even that, is against I think, the rules. is against the rules of the Tulkun who only live in, in non-violent absolute peace. pacifism. Yeah, absolute peace. So uh, Pyokan is like, yo, fuck this shit, and goes free willy on the whaling vessel, like, you know, whipping Literally whalers jumps like, into over the water. It like free willy. Literally like free willy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, there's a big showdown with Sully and Natiri and Quaritch, and eventually uh, the whalers and Quaritch are driven off. Quaritch survives thanks to Spider, who saves him from drowning. For no reason Again, that anyone can understand apart from they need him to be in the next movie. Again, we will talk about this in depth uh, after the recap. But once again, fuck Spider. Uh, And this leads to uh, a narration um, from Jake in which he says, you know, my family is my greatest weakness, but it's also our greatest strength. Uh, Now I realize that this is our home. The entire planet is our home and we need to defend our home. Uh, And that is setting up Avatar 3 in which we would imagine Jake and his Navi forces uh, wage complete war against uh, the human colony on Pandora. Folks, let's talk about it. Uh, We saw it in 3D, uh, which I will say, and you mentioned, it's – the three D is really great. Like, yeah, it's it, very it, immersive. The, it was it was much more three D than the first one, which I, I am agree. a fan of. And it's not just like dumb, like, oh, look, now the arrow is coming, pointing right at your face. You know, it's it's stuff like. But they do add a bit Mozart, of that in, which I like. They do have a little <laughs> bit of that in, but it's not just like that wow kind of stuff of like Quaritch's yeah. gun is pointing directly at you, or like the 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 beak of his flying beast is like you know coming out of the screen. It's more like as they're underwater, that's you see the stuff these, that like, really got me. Yeah, you see these like motes of 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 light and different substances just and kind of floating, floating in the you. theater. Yeah, yeah, that's you. the coolest stuff. And it just and it really feels like you're underwater. It was really cool. Yeah, that was that to me was my favorite new development in this movie. I am not the biggest original Avatar stan, and I cannot say that this film has turned me into one. But I was very immersed in that spectacle and experience, especially for me, the immersive 3D I really enjoy that experience and I'd love to see that, you know, in all different kinds of movies. So that that was a big selling point for me. Rosie, do you think people need to see this movie, need to see the first Avatar before they see Avatar Way of Water? You know what? I don't think it's a full necessity because I feel like the opening of the movie does a lot of heavy lifting when it comes to introducing the characters, introducing the family, introducing Jake's journey. I I would also say that this movie follows a lot of similar thematic beats as the first movie. So I think that it, you can really understand the world of Avatar. But I will say that I do think that if you wanted to rewatch it and also see whether you were a fan, because I feel like this is very much like if you really like the first movie, you're probably going to really like or love this movie. So it's also a good kind of watermark. But I don't necessarily think it's a necessity to see the first one before coming into this. I do think 
that if you're going to do it, probably watch the first one before you see this, because once you've watched this one, the graphics of the first one look very dated. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very, very, very dated. I'll say this. I think what's I think if you wanted to go back and just kind of refresh or you haven't seen the first Avatar, what you need to do is watch the first 30 minutes of the first Avatar, Mm. because you need to understand how the Avatar technology works, like what it is. That's a great point. How Jake came to be in the Navi body, where the Navi bodies come from. And, you know, there are various scenes like the torture of Spider that kind of like uh, uh, hinge on the audience's understanding Mm. of how the kind of like avatar and the high tech technology of this of this you know, age of humanity's like ability to peer into the human brain, like how, you know, what they can do with that technology. And so I think it's important to kind of like have that as like a uh, an understanding of the world and the kind of world building of it, how human race came to be on Pandora, how they get there, how far it is why away. All that, why they're there. I think all that stuff happens basically in the first half hour, 45 minutes of of the three-hour-plus epic of Avatar number one, 2009's, you know, Avatar. And if you didn't have three hours-plus to carve out, then just watch the first 30 to 45 minutes mm. of, of the first Avatar to kind of understand the reality of, of where we are. And the rest of it, you'll understand. Like, there's a bad guy. It's basically dances with wolves in space. Uh, <laughs> only this time, the uh, the indigenous win. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Let's talk about something because you say that, right? And that immediately makes me feel like, you know, we talked a lot about the way that Andor dealt with real life analogous storytelling that felt radical. But you made a really great point in the lead up to this episode about your reading of the accessibility of Avatar. And could you speak a little bit to that? Oh, sure. I Well, I just think James Cameron is... A ma- is truly a master filmmaker, a truly master storyteller in in a medium that is uh, that is basically like box office blockbuster. Like that is his milieu. He understands how to create a story that crosses all kinds of national, ideological and political lines to create a story that is accessible to the biggest possible audience ever. This is one of the, what, five movies this year, American films, that's going to open in China, right? Mm-hmm. They think it's going to do $200 million in China. Uh, why is that? It's because he's able to gesture at all these different kinds of groups and, and concerns that different groups have about stories in this extremely fractured, uh, you know, political era that we're living in um, and create something like unified out of it. And there's something almost diabolical about it. So this is what I mean. <laughs> this is this is what I mean. On the one hand, like we live in an age in which I think people rightly and fairly uh, are concerned about diversity, about depictions of diversity, um, and, and they want to see themselves reflected on screen. Um, so here is a story about an indigenous people, right? Um, an indigenous group. Uh, they're essentially underdogs. Um, at the same time, so that that gives you like entree. It, it, they don't look like us, right? They have different uh, ways of being. They're very connected to nature in a way that feels like you know, you know, uh, uh, 
and at times almost simplistic mapping of indigenous concerns and an indigenous character onto onto a, a, a sci-fi character. At the same time, this is a group that also reaches like across that has an appeal beyond that kind of you know uh, a kind of narrow sliced appeal because they're a unified ethno religious group right they're they're they have uh, they re- and their their religion is at the center of their existence so they're very religious mono culture and they have very very traditional gender roles like uh, the, at, at one point jake says a father's role is to protect you know, like the, this film opens with Jake teaching uh, Natayam, his oldest son, like how to fish. And meanwhile, it's like Natiri, his wife, whose bo- the bow and arrow is her thing. Like she is an absolute fucking uh, artist with the bow and arrow. Uh, and that is, in fact, in this movie, that's like her calling card. Like Courage is able to identify like her by her arrows. But it's. Jake, who's teaching the kids to hunt, not Natiri, who's doing Natiri, not to say that. But at the same time, she is a warrior. She is a fierce warrior. By that same token, we never we see her like preparing food in a very traditional kind of way, like in the huts, chopping up fish and and preparing stuff for the family life, an an act we never see Jake doing. Right. So. It's able to appeal to people who care about diversity and also people who are like, there's too much diversity in this world. It's able to open in China, right? Because who are the fucking bad guys in this movie? The American military. The American corporate and military interests are the bad guys in this film. Who are the and why can it open in America also? Because who's the good guy in this film? An American soldier, a white guy, the greatest Navi in the history of Navi is a white man named Jake. We love shit like that. And so it's really interesting the way he is he is like crafted this story that just has absolutely massive universal appeal not just to people like who, you know, love movies quote unquote the way they used to be, but people who care about like uh about representation and things now. Like that is it's diabolical what he's done. It's yeah. really crazy what he's done. And it and it absolutely works. Like, is there a, a cynical element to it? Yeah, I think so. Yes. At the same time, like when Pyokan starts wrecking shop and hurling whalers like into the water and slapping them with his tail so that their bodies just like fucking go ragdolling across the deck. And then the Navi show up and start spearing dudes like out of their quadcopters <laughs> i'm like fuck yeah kill them absolutely mm-hmm. let's kill these fucking bastards i'm please like kill them all i love it um so this shit really works like it's 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 amazing and it's got and there's a through line with a lot of the stuff that james cameron has cared about for basically his entire filmmaking career which is you know uh, militarism, uh, the uh, the effects, the wide ranging effects of corporate power, the effects of capitalism outside of the view of the kind of um, uh, uh, the the general public. Like this is, it's always like 
what happens when a corporation goes to space with military power? Mm-hmm. What happens when a corporation, uh, you know, uh, is mining off world uh, as in aliens? What happens when they're when they're placing colonies on another earth on another world? Excuse me. What happens when they're mining outside of the view of the press and stuff like that? This is like the, the kind of shit he cares about. What happens when uh, when. Um, technology runs amok. This is the stuff that James Cameron cares about. And of course, we all know he absolutely loves the oceans. This guy yeah, he uh, loves, loves, the, loves the oceans. Loves that. Yeah, so yeah, it's really I, incredible what he has done here. Yeah, the, uh, I think that your point is so astute about that wide appeal. I think that's why uh, for some people like myself, it's not always going to hit because that the vagaries or the or the the lack of making a, a solid commitment to a message or a, or a story, you know. And I also something that I struggle with after watching last night the ABC 2020 special Avatar: The Deep Dive about yeah. making this movie. I think that there is a very interesting conversation to be had by different people than me, but I will be seeking it out. the The way that the Navi have always been uh, very coded towards like different races. Yeah. But then the people that are brought in to play the characters, like I was very surprised to find that Renal, who's the wife of the, you know, the Mechania, the water people's leader, again, she's the wife and he's the, he's the husband and he's the yeah. leader. She's played by Kate Winslet, even though they're very obviously inspired visually by the Maori and Maori communities. Now, yes. her husband is played by a Maori actor. But there's just some things like that for this and the kind of the choices that they make in representing this kind of alien indigenous community that just doesn't really sit for me. But I will say it does follow many of the traditions of things that we love about comic books. It is an analogous story. It's just now we're living in a great time. 2022 has been an amazing year for uh, indigenous entertainment made by indigenous people, whether it's uh, Spirit Rangers on Netflix or Prey or, you know, well, which wasn't made by an indigenous person, but had a lot of indigenous people working on it, including the producer. Also, you know, obviously uh, Reservation Dogs. Yeah. So I think like that puts it into a different light. I feel like this is still a very 2009 story, even in 2022. And I think that for me uh, shines through a little bit more narratively because of the other entertainment that we kind of get to imbibe in the stories that we get to experience but it is a it's a it's a wild spectacle and an absolute feat of kind of showing what you can do with cgi i also like to think this movie took you know like 13 years to get made yeah i I like to think that it's like the i hope that this is not wrong and there won't be horror stories coming out but i like to think that this is like the most sustainable CG heavy movie that's ever been made and that everyone who worked on it got like a long time to do all the effects and everything because like that's the horrible thing about watching a Marvel movie or DC movie a Star Wars movie you know you hear all these horror stories about the incredible VFX artists just being run into the ground and I love the idea that James Cameron's just like chilling taking his time giving everyone like a really good amount of time to work on the movie this seems like a very James Cameron move 
It really does. Uh, it, this movie needs to make over a billion dollars just to like break even. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be something to watch. Yeah, post COVID, how do you think that's going to go? Because we are in a different cinematic I landscape. Think this, I think this movie is going to make. I think it's going to make billions of dollars. I think it's going to do it again because I think. You know, I was struck when I was doing my research for uh, for rewatch of Avatar ahead of watching Way of Water, how. Why again? How wide-ranging the appeal of that movie was. There was like a story uh, from 2009 of these uh, Palestinian protesters um, dressed up like they, they had painted their their bodies like Navi. And he, he, again, you have this story that appeals to people mm-hmm. who, who feel on who feel like they fall on either side of the various conversations about imperialism and colonialism like uh, to name one of the of the many dualities that this movie manages to straddle and this these two movies manages mm-hmm. to straddle it's it's honestly really crazy that he's managed to do this and i feel the same way about you in terms of like the the maori codedness obviously the first one you know when i was rewatching it the other night it is like striking how it how American indigenous coded it is like it's not even you can't even see coded because it basically yeah. is like from the war yelps to the casting of West Studi to you and know like th- this is like what it the, is you know the strange like the one thing that I think I saw some reviewers kind of astutely point this out but like the the costume designs they lean into this strange like sexualization of the characters yeah. even and and that i think is something that feels more in line of that outdated kind of coding of how the how those characters were often portrayed so it's those little things that i think but you know what if it if it gets people to feel a little bit more thoughtful about this stuff that's always a good thing now i will say that i i think i liked it I, clearly i liked it more than you i had a good time because you know i for me, it's like the story is whatever. I feel the same way about the first Avatar. It's like that movie opens up and half an hour into it, it's like, OK, I, I understand what's happening here. Yes, you know, it's not the bad subtle. Guys are. Yeah, this is not a subtle movie. Uh, and it's the same thing with Way of Water. You know, this is not a movie where, you know, you get to the end of Act Two and uh, you can feel the story mechanisms working adequately so that like the villains, you hate them more than, you know, like more than anything else in the world. And you want the heroes to just like whoop their asses and you understand that this movie is going to give it to you. There's never a moment where you're like, this movie's not going to give me that mm-hmm. heroes kicking the villains asses moment. So I enjoyed it for the spectacle. And because there's almost something, again, mathematical, yes, architectural about. And, and about the the amount of kind of thought that Cameron has put into crafting a story that, you know, uh, super producer Saul and I were talking about like tropes of sci-fi and how many, mm-hmm. how many various tropes that and of sci-fi and storytelling writ large that, that, that the Avatar series uses, that it, it's really beyond tropes the way the way this story and Cameron is able to take themes and things that different groups care care about and kind of like boil them down into the most universal 
like ideals that people hold, like it's important to protect the family uh, and that your uh, land is worth defending, that people should uh, have a connection to their community, that religion is important and is worth respecting, that, you know, unchecked uh, consumerism that destroys cultures is bad, you know, and and uh, at the same time, there are a lot of things here. Like, I'm I'm interested to see what the response from the Maori community is. Like, there are a lot of things here where I'm like, gosh, I wonder how people are going to mm-hmm. feel and talk about this. Because, again, yeah, it feels like— I'm very interested to see that. It, it, and it feels like the most consciously apolitical movie that we've seen— uh, certainly in a long time. Now, the other thing that I do like about this movie, actually love about this movie, is that we haven't had a smoke a big joint and just like <laughs> sit back movie. We That's the only way of, to watch the movie. We Absolutely. We have not had one of those in a long time. Like, you, you know, the MCU movies, you kind of have to understand what happened in like 33 other films. Um, uh, the, uh, there hasn't been like an epic just like get baked and enjoy the visuals movie in a long time. And in that sense, I I actually quite liked Avatar. And again, when the Navi in the third act start striking back, the story mechanisms absolutely worked on me. And I was like, yes, show me in in slow-mo, you know, 60 frames a second detail. Show me a Navi grab a guy by the head and throw them off the ship into the water. <laughs> show me show me a Navi hitting them in the face with their bows. So show somebody's hand crack. getting chopped off in 3D and coming towards you into the yeah, water. I, show me Pyokan like fucking bouncing a, a explosive harpoon off his metal skull plate that was pretty badass badass. so that it hits another boat and those soldiers go flying like that part of it was really cool but i will again there's a level there's a way to look at the way this entire story is structured and feel like there's just like a lot of cynicism here. <laughs> I, I'm i very, the funniest thing is, right, I think talking to you about it, as always, has enlightened me. I think, I think the major reason, one of the major reasons that I didn't love the first one and I still have not been fully converted, though I did enjoy this one more yeah. with the visuals. You know, I really, I do not enjoy war movies. They are not something I've ever particularly enjoyed. Um, there's obviously exceptions of movies that are like masterpieces, like All Quiet on the Western Front and Come yeah. See and stuff like that. But like generally a militarized movie about like giant people and they're, and they're shoot. Well, if it was giants, that would be cool. But like big guys and they got guns and they're killing a bunch of people. That's never appealed to me. And th- those were actually the moments, the militarization aspects, even though they are portrayed negatively. And I do love to yeah, see very, the American military. Very negatively. Quite negatively. That to me... The stuff where I'd feel myself really getting immersed is like swimming under the water and seeing yeah, some cool creatures. And and then as soon as it got back to the like violence and the military and stuff, that's kind of where I would lose my immersion in the movie and my kind of enjoyment. So I think that's it is in, in some ways, and this is the nature of the movie, it's a war movie. It's an anti-war movie, but through the lens of here are the horrors of war. And in this case... That is not necessarily what I'm looking for. In a way, I kind of like the more the aspects of it where it feels more like you're. I used to go to the IMAX a lot when I was a kid in London. They have a big 
IMAX theater there that for a long time was the biggest one in the world. And you could go and pay like five or six dollars and see a 25 minute to 45 minute long movie that was made specifically to show off the IMAX. And it would be, I see, I saw ones about like the X Games. I saw ones about dinosaurs. I saw one about Under the Sea. And there was a lot of moments in this where I was just like, I just wanted to lose myself in that huge spectacle of the vibe and experience a different world. And this does deliver that at certain points, but there's just things that were kind of taking me out of it. And I think it's that, that aspect of a story about war. I've always found that hard to connect with, even, you know, throughout my life as, as a film lover. So yeah, I think it is, it, it's a very interesting conversation piece and I think the conversations about it will be far more complex and long running than the kind of meme of the original Avatar which was kind of like oh it's forgettable even though it's the biggest movie in the world this feels like there's going to be a lot more kind of in-depth conversation had about it let's talk about Spider so Spider we must talk about Spider so Spider again the son uh, the biological son of Colonel Quaritch he's raised on Pandora Uh, he is both part of their world and not part of their world he puts on blue body paint in a way that feels you know both you know a nod and a, a, a kind of there, there's some, you know, like a nod to the culture that he is immersed in, but also feels like weirdly, it just feels weird to let, that he's like doing that. Yeah. Um, and Quaritch captures him uh, and then he is tortured, which is awful, uh, but then kind of bonds with his father in an interesting way. Even though, so so we just need to say, like, James Cameron in Avatar 2, Way of Water, goes out of his way many times to say he is not technically the biological son of this Quaritch, because this Quaritch is like a random Avatar. He is the biological son of the other Quaritch, who all of his brain matter memories and on a USB drive went into the Avatar. So they do have a connection, but they don't. And they play on that a lot to kind of do this, like, moral gray area where you're like, will they look after each other? Will they not? And they do, obviously. And so Spider really becomes Quaritch's begrudging at times, but really right-hand person. Like, he helps with translations. He teaches them them how to bond with animals using their braids. Um, And in a moment that I think actually burns the character, because all throughout Spider you can tell is empathizing with the various, um, you know, Navi who are being mm-hmm. brutalized by these, by Quaritch's military forces in their search for Jake. He he stops at various times his father from just like flat out murdering the Navi, yeah. like just to find Jake and to, to like send a message. Um, but after the kind of like climactic battle between Jake and Quaritch under the water where Jake chokes out, Quaritch. Spider, who is who has entered the wreck of this whaling vessel, sees his you know father in Navi form there drowning and decides, fuck it, I'm gonna save him. And it's a weird moment because on the one hand, this story is like 
wants you to feel for Spider as a mm-hmm. as a as a being without a home, without a father. Yeah. His only father figure is not his father. He feels more at home amongst an alien species who don't mm-hmm. who who are very, very kind and accepting to him. But don't fully but, embrace him as a family member. They don't fully embrace him, right? They're never mean to him in Nateri any kind of way. Is, is colder, but the and yeah. the kids see him as a sibling. Right. But really it's only Kiri. Who, who, embr- who truly embraces, embraces him. him, right? Uh, and for him to save the life of their tormentor for reasons, it just why? has to be narrative reasons. That's the only. I guess, but sure. I mean, like obviously, it's because no, because there isn't even the narrative reasons. No, no, no. Because no. I mean, all... like because they want him to be in the movie next time. But that doesn't even <laughs> that doesn't even make sense because they've already established at the beginning of this movie that the death doesn't matter. Just yeah. upload another fucking version of that's Colonel Quaritch really that's point. saved on the hard drive into another Navi body and fucking yeah. be done with it. No, you don't you need know, him. It's he can die. I I really felt that choice, which is hilarious because like Spider, I mean. To me, that's a classic, like, it's almost become a trope, the, like, young sidekick, human sidekick that kind of annoys people. But the funny thing is, the moment that I found most powerful in this whole film, in its message about family, was when Spider turned up, he's at the end of the movie, he's on the ship, he's obviously been in coots with Quaritch and everything, but the moment he sees his, you know, his Navi siblings, the people who he's been raised with, he wants to help them. He helps them. And not for a single second do any of them question why he was with them, judge him. They're just like, we're happy you're here. You're making yeah. the right choice right now. And that's all that matters. I thought that was such an empathetic, interesting, compassionate choice. And I was so deeply bummed to see that final choice, which sells out the character, but also just, like you said, it doesn't really make sense. Just upload a new one. Make a new yeah, so, super super Navi or something. Which you know? is which is why I feel like the I I think the way the movie is going or the series is going is that eventually Spider is going to be you know originally th- uh, the reason they create these avatars is to you know to send humans into Navi society so that they can learn from them and hopefully find a diplomatic solution to the fact that the human race needs unobtainium and various mm-hmm. other resources from Pandora and the Navi you know are are, are uh, rightly and fairly and justly and brutally defending their homeland so how do we come to an agreement on this uh, and, and then eventually Quaritch is like okay, Jake, you're going to go in. You're going to learn from the enemy. You're going to learn their ways so that we can more effectively destroy them from within. I think if I'm right, I think that's what Spider is being set up to do. Mm. Spider, they are going to, like, Quaritch eventually, they're going to move him aside. And the true villain, I hope this is what they're doing. This is actually what I hope that they're doing. And that eventually Spider becomes that dagger pointed directly at the heart of the Navi who understands their ways, who is raised amongst them, That's who really can speak small. their language perfectly, who understands the way they think, the way their cultures work, the things they care about. And it's eventually in the further movie, in the you know the later sequels, Spider, who is going to be the uber weapon of humanity that Jake never was, that Jake rejected. That's the only way this makes sense that, to me. I think that makes a lot of sense, especially... There would be a lot of good, sad kind of irony in 
Spider in the fourth or fifth movie getting to become Navi and using an avatar himself and being able to achieve the one thing that he'd always wanted to achieve, but in a space where he's using it to destroy them, also makes a lot of sense on a narrative level if we think about the fact that him and Kiri have this deep connection and something this movie clearly sets up is it's almost implied that Kiri is sort of the daughter of Pandora. Like right. that Kiri is partially made of Pandora. Kiri can Right. She has a connection with the planet and the planet's like bioconsciousness. Yeah. That is she's able to command she's able to command the the plant life and the and the and the animal life to attack uh, uh, like the human naval forces yeah. in a way that is clearly superhuman, super Navi. Yeah, and and <laughs> super Navi, I like that. Yeah, and um, and I think it would make a lot of sense because then you can have the inevitable conflict between Spider Her and, and Kiri, but the real truth is that at the end, Spider would likely come in the final moments would make the right decision because now, Kiri is the person that he was connected with. Now, if that is the case, if, Sp- if they are setting up Spider to eventually be like the uber villain of this series. I actually think now this is a really interesting. Now I'm really interested in this. Now choice. I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think the implications of him saving him beyond the plot, because again, I think it doesn't matter for the plot because of the like, reasons yeah, we mentioned. Yeah, I like yeah. your point, the USB yeah. upload. I think the implications are, are really interesting because like what happens when Spider tells them? Mm-hmm. Or does That's he? What I'm thinking, or does right? he not tell them? I'm assuming he doesn't tell them. That's right. my, and then that becomes the f- the third movie is really about the conflict of them finding out and Quaritch being an active player. Or you have a kind of situation where um, Quaritch is still injured and in the forest, and Spider is secretly helping keeping him alive while they do this kind of greater battle yeah. against the Sky People. I hope that 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 is the case because. This conversation reminds me a little bit of the um, the Inaratu movie, The Revenant, starring Leo. Oh yeah, which uh, which is a movie that I enjoyed for the spectacle, but also kind of disagreed with in the sense that um, you know, there's uh, Leo's character. The the movie didn't seem to understand that Leo's character, while a hero in the course of the story, is also like the vanguard of this. European invasion yeah. that is that is like pressing its way into the heart of the indigenous lands. Like the fact that he is out there like looking for furs and yes, he has a, a, a Mohawk wife, but the fact that he is out there leading people deeper and deeper and deeper into this territory, albeit in a peaceful way, is like forging the path for the conflict that is coming. And in that sense, like Jake and then Spider after him make you grapple with the question of is there any way for a technologically advanced society to interact with with a less technologically advanced society in a way that is at all equitable like mm. is there any way that those two groups can come to an understanding based on the values, knowledge and material culture that they both have and in that sense like Again, if Spider is the villain, that's interesting. If yeah. it's just like a weird thing to keep the plot going, then I think this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I but I'd be fascinated to see what happens when Jake and his family find out that fucking Spider, yeah. who they have been nothing but great to, 
Yeah. Nothing but wonderful loving. They raised and him. They fucking raised this kid. They let him hang out with them, pull on their tails. He <laughs> hisses like a Navi when he's threatened. When they find out that he saved the life of their greatest tormentor, I wonder what their reaction will be. I yeah, really do. And we will get to find that out because Avatar 3, yet untitled, though we can probably guess it might have something to do with, you know, fire or, or wind or <laughs> okay, something at this point. Right, right, right. Fire. Um, yeah. You know, air. Avatar, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, things are all great until Avatar Fire way of air. came along. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but, but we Avatar 3 was actually filmed alongside this. So whatever happens, however this Avatar um, performs in this post-COVID landscape, Avatar 3 will come out. So we will find that. The question is whether it will perform well enough for Avatar 4 and 5 to be made. So whatever happens, we'll find out what happens in the third movie. And James Cameron, as he always is in his fox jacket, had a very cool, chill viewpoint on it, uh, on the special I watched, where he was kind of like, audiences have changed. Things that people like have changed. Let's just see how it goes. I hope people connect with it. And if they don't, that's also okay. And I yeah, he doesn't care. He's, he's just, like this guy is so fucking rich. Dude, he's he has so created rich. he has created to, like with Titanic and Avatar, he has twice directed the the biggest box also, office hit ever in Terminator full 2 was like the most expensive movie ever made when it came out. And yeah. I will just say, Spider does fit into, in my opinion, he is the worst version of. But look, aliens, new. James Cameron yeah. put a kid in there, yeah. a little ragtag kid who the who needs also to be had matted, also had matted, also had matted hair. hair. Uh, his the best version of that character in my book, John Connor in Terminator Two. Mm. If you're making a James Cameron sequel, you got to have a small child. Sadly, <laughs> Spider he's low on the ranking for me of of the James Cameron small child sequel trope. But yeah. I'll be very interested. I really like that. It's so funny how I never really thought I'd, I never really been like getting deep into like avatar theories. You know, my theories yeah. are very much in the, in the comic book movie and action movie kind of franchise horror space. But I, I'm very invested in your avatar theory. I think if that's the way they're leading, that could go somewhere pretty interesting. Yeah. I think that it, it, that's when, you know, this story has been, again, it's pretty basic. It's all about the spectacle. Like, if you're looking like, oh, my God, will I be spoiled by this? Don't worry about it. But if <laughs> they go in that direction, if they go in that direction, I actually think, you know, the questions about, like, how, again, how you how a technologically advanced culture can interact with a with a more, you know, with a more naturalistic culture, I think, is a really interesting one. And if they in- explore that via spider, who I think is terrible. <laughs> Maybe that's pretty interesting. I'll be interested to see uh, what happens. A big thank you to Rosie Knight for joining us on X-Ray Vision. Rosie, plug stuff. Plug, 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 plug. It's me. Uh, you can read my writing at Nerdist, IGN, uh, Den of Geek, all those cool places, Polygon. We just yeah. had our big comic books, best comic books of the year. I was shouting out some of my faves like Wash Day Diaries. Such a great comic. Uh, also, my aunt is a monster. Those two are my favorite this year. Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd at Instagram at Rosie Marks and here. Catch the next episode on December 23rd. That's going to be our live panel taped at LA Comic Con from a few weeks ago. We will be taking the last week of December and the first week of January off, and we hope that you're able to do the same. Our first episode of 2023 will be Wednesday, January 11th. And then, folks, are you sitting down? 
We're going to be doing two episodes a week starting then for the rest of time. We're just going to be doing them two a week. So get ready for more X-Ray Vision than your ears can possibly hold. This means episodes of X-Ray Vision every Wednesday and Friday starting January 11th, 2023. Don't forget, subscribe to the show on YouTube. Follow at XRVPod on Twitter and hopefully somewhere else soon. And check out the Discord where you can hang out with lots of other amazing fans of X-Ray Vision, uh, plus Rosie and I. Five-star ratings, five-star reviews. We love them. We got to have them. We need them. It's like the whale brain juice. We need them to stop our aging. Here's one from Egypt Brown. Essential listening, Rosie and Jason have quickly become one of my favorite podcasts. The pair are not just knowledgeable, but funny as heck, too. Thank you. Oh, thank you. We try our best. We try our best. X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by myself and Sandy Gerard. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Dylan Villanueva and Matt DeGroote provide video production support. Alex Relaford handles social media. Thank you, Brian Vasquez, for our theme music. See you next time, folks.